Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about why I think it will become even more difficult uh, to find or source quality financial advice uh, in the near future and something I think people really need to be uh, mindful of. Uh, and as someone in that industry, you know, I think it's good to be able to share some insights to what's going on in this industry at the moment, uh, because it will have certainly wide reaching consequences for many Australians, I suspect. So, you know, in the past, finding good quality financial advice has always been, I think most people would say a difficult task, you know, finding who to trust and so forth. Uh, you think about not only sort of 10 years ago, most financial planners receive commissions as remuneration. And so it was difficult for clients to navigate those in endless conflicts. Uh, and that conflict of interest, I think, gave, gave rise to you know really horrible outcomes for many people. Uh, in fact, I think you can t- trace back all po- poor advice outcomes back to a conflict of interest. But thankfully, investment commissions no longer exist. So really now the challenge is uh, far simpler, I think. Uh, It's really just about finding an advisor with well-rounded experience to provide you with that advice. So before we get into it, let's have a little bit of a history lesson. As I said, uh, you know, financial advisors used to receive commissions from managed fund providers. uh, And that obviously created a conflict of interest. In fact, the data showed not surprisingly, that advisors mostly only recommended funds that paid commissions, uh, and those higher fees resulting from uh, the fund having to pay those commissions greatly diminished investment returns. Uh, and so really, in essence, commissions incentivize the recommendation of really poor quality investments to clients. Uh, the financial advisors benefited from that, but of course the end client didn't. And commissions on new investments were banned uh, back in 2014, so about eight years ago. Uh, and then uh, commissions on existing investments that were grandfathered were also abolished in 2018. Uh, so now advisors by law cannot accept conflicted remuneration arrangements, uh, that is commissions, which is good, obviously, because as I said before, uh, you know, commissions or conflicted remuneration really uh, resulted in, in terrible advice outcomes. And in a commission-based environment, I would argue that most advisors' core competency was salesmanship rather than de- delivering quality advice. Uh, and the unfortunate thing is that most unsuspecting customers or clients really didn't realise that. Uh, and really, uh, in a way, advisors were merely wolves in sheep clothing. Um, but obviously that's changed now and, uh, you know, there's no more sort of salesmanship. You know, advisors don't really have anything to sell per se other than their advice. So when contemplating getting advice, you really just need to decide on a couple of factors. Firstly, does the advisor have enough experience? And then secondly, whether the scope of advice really maximizes your opportunities. And with respect to scope, I'm a staunch believer in holistic advice uh, it maximizes value. And I, I uh, recorded an episode back on 6 June, episode 100, uh, 211, 
uh, where I shared six client case studies to demonstrate the value of holistic advice. In summary, I believe high quality advice is really multifaceted, uh, which means it needs to consider lots of different elements, including tax, super, estate planning, cash flow, risk in insurance, borrowing capacity, and so on and so forth. So really holistic advice sort of wraps that all up. Uh, make sure that we uh, minimize all risks and maximize all opportunities. Okay, so with that little background of, you know, what's taken us to here in terms of financial planning, uh, let's talk about what's happened more recently. So there's been a, a mass exodus of advisors in Australia, um, and it's really been due to several changes um, in compliance, uh, requirements, cost to run a business, those sorts of things. But to put it all in context, in about 2018, there was 28,000 financial advisors in Australia. About 40% of those have already left the industry, uh, and it's predicted that advisor numbers will fall to uh, merely 13,000 by the end of the next year. Now, of course, there was a lot of shoddy advisors around, and I would argue that you know a washout of those shoddy advisors is actually a really good thing for the industry and for the end user, Australians. Um, and it's good that those have left. But really, to more than half the number of advisors in only, five, in only five years is really a terrible outcome for Australians because some good ones have left the industry as well. And if, imagine if that happened with lawyers, dentists, doctors, accountants. You know, there'd be, there'd be an uproar. But I get that really, uh, I guess, politically and, and just from, you know, uh, from a newsworthy perspective, no one's going to feel sorry for financial advisors and no one really should feel sorry for the industry because the industry hasn't done itself any favours. But the point is that there's a massive shortage now of advisors in Australia and it's a problem that's only going to get worse because really what we need is advisors with a significant amount of experience. Well, there's no, you can't replicate experience overnight. So as uh, advisors with that experience start leaving the industry, Unfortunately, there's not enough kind of intermediate advisors over the next couple of years to kind of step into their shoes. Um, and so what will happen is that the shortage of experienced financial advisors will get a hell of a lot worse over the next few years rather than better. And so even if we magically could wave a wand and develop some policies and incentives to really attract some high caliber individuals to our industry, uh, it's going to be several years until they can really sit in front of a client or put it differently. You know, how many years of experience do you want your advisor to have? Uh, I'd imagine your answer is going to be more than just a couple of years of experience. Uh, and therein lies our problem. Now, robo-advice has been kind of lauded as a, a cheaper alternative to personal financial advice. Uh, and really, robo-advice is really just an algorithm-driven uh, software tool uh, that makes recommendations based on your answers to a series of questions. Currently, kind of robo-advice only really provides very simplistic solutions. And I think the problem with robo-advice is that it's a very logical tool. However, studies of behavioral finance demonstrate or tell us that, you know, financial decisions tend to be heavily influenced by emotions, not logic. So often it's difficult to change someone's mind if, with logic alone, if they actually didn't use logic to make their original decision. And so in that situation, I think a human-to-human -human relationship is most effective 
because you can kind of look into the whites of their eyes and say, no, that's a mistake. Here's the reasons why. So you can present the logic, but that human relationship creates enough emotional connection uh, so that the the client's willing to listen to why uh, their previous decision was a mistake. And a a software tool is not going to be able to do that. So I think robo-advice is a a good advancement, but I think robo-advice will probably help advisors more than they'll help the end clients in that advisors can start using these sorts of tools to to reduce the cost to deliver advice, but but it won't be a replacement necessarily uh, for the advisor, probably at least not over the next decade. Who knows where these tools, uh, how far these tools can go, uh, and I'm not... Uh, I'm certainly leaving room for the possibility that one day maybe a a robot or or some sort of software will uh, be able to do the same job that I do. So who do we have to blame for this advisor shortage? Well, I guess the first um, uh, the first cohort of people that should take some blame are, are anyone that's been in the industry and controlled the industry for the last thirty years, because my viewpoint, standing back, uh, is that the industry really hasn't done itself a lot of favors. Uh, really, they should have removed commissions 30 years ago or, or sooner um, than that or earlier than that. Uh, so certainly the industry has uh, has some, some blame, but most of the people that were in the industry 20 or 30 years ago are no longer in the industry, so it's a bit difficult to blame the industry. Um, I, I think the government uh, really needs to wear the lion's share of the responsibility of the current advisor shortage. Um, and ASIC is mainly responsible for regulating financial advisors, and it was heavily criticised throughout the, the Hain Royal Commission back in 2019. It said it did very little to pursue and punish breaches uh, by financial advisors um, and really was reluctant to hand out any penalties or fines. Now, it's, it's done a, a complete 180. It's been handing out millions, millions of dollars of fines to the big banks and advisors and so forth. But to some extent, it's a little bit like stabbing the wounded after the war's been lost. Uh, it's it's too little too late uh, to a large degree. And, and really, in my view, the regulatory system is broken. And the best example of that is a, a national financial advisory firm called Dixon Advisory. Uh, they spent the best part of a decade selling its own products to clients uh, these products have lost a huge amount of money for these investors. Some of them are, are now trading at, at 90% below the original value. So, you know, clients have lost 90% of their money. And these products were laden with high fees, you know, that were ultimately paid to Dixon's or its associates. Um, and then even when Dixon merged with a firm called Evans & Partners, um, it, which was a listed business, it recommended its own stock to its clients, which has also lost 80% of its value since listing as well. So th- there's a lot it did wrong and um, you know th- it was really ripe for the picking in terms of um, uh, suffering the, the full impact of the law. Uh, so essentially it made lots of money selling data in- investments to a client, then cashed out by selling its own business to the same clients. So they kind of Uh, cleaned up twice in one regard. Anyway, after an ASIC investigation, uh, it was fined a mere $7.2 million, which is a mere drop in the ocean compared to what investors have lost. Uh, And of course, Dixon's promptly went into administration, uh, presumably, I guess, to avoid paying the fine to ASIC or any damages to clients. 
And so far, no staff or directors have been prosecuted. Uh, Essentially, they've gotten away completely scot-free. Now, to add insult to injury, the Morrison government introduced an ASIC levy back in 2018 uh, that all advice firms must pay. And the levy was introduced because what they determined was there's going to be an increased cost to regulate financial advisors because the Royal Commission has sort of come down hard on ASIC. And they thought, well, taxpayers shouldn't have to pay that. We'll get the industry to pay. Now, the problem with that is that anyone that was in the industry that's kind of cleaned up and made a lot of money at the cost of their own clients uh, had already probably left the industry. So essentially, the, the, the good advisors are left kind of holding the bag, paying for you know what, what has been really government inaction uh, and a waste of taxpayers' dollars. In any, in any case, the ASIC recently wrote, last couple of weeks, wrote to Dixon's clients advising them to lodge a complaint so they may receive compensation from a scheme that the ASIC levies have funded. So here you've got a financial advisor, national financial advisor, delivered some criminal advice. You know, it's, it's not even, there's not even a, a case, an argument to be made that, you know, that there, there was any quality associated with the financial advice. Um, sold their business to their clients, you know, through that listing and uh, raising funds and so forth, uh, got away scot-free, and now to compensate those clients, what the government is asking them to do is uh, for remaining financial advisors that have been doing a really good job uh, to pay for that poor quality advice, you know, to compensate those poor clients. Meanwhile, the crooks are probably somewhere sitting on a beach enjoying their millions that they've made over that time. So it's kind of no wonder that there's a whole bunch of advisors out there that are kind of just jack of the uh, the treatment and the industry and are moving on. Um, and, and really, that it's been, from a government management perspective, completely mismanaged. Uh, and, and as I said, the advisor shortage is going to bite uh, significantly. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, Australians are going to pay. Now, again, I don't share this story as a way of, you know, telling you a sad story and having you feel sorry for financial advisors. Not at all. At the end of the day, there's going to be an implication on Australians, and that is that uh, when there's fewer financial advisors around, then uh, the cost of advice and the availability of advice is going to be uh, more difficult. Um, You know, there's endless uh, and mostly meaningless compliance obligations that have been introduced over the last number of years. And of course, you know, advisors didn't fare well in the Royal Commission. And of course, like uh, in every situation, governments tend to overreact uh, and they just think any sort of compliance obligation is a good one. But really, a lot of them um, actually cost a lot of time, a lot of effort, increase risk to run a business and really do not do not actually protect clients. They're outdated now because commissions have gone. So we kind of need a completely different regulatory regime, but we're sticking to one that was written uh, more than 25 years ago. Um, and so the, the, the problem with that is obviously a lot of people leaving the industry, but there was an article in The Australian last year that was written that said that the cost of advice is at least $3,000 a year. So that's even before you add a lot of complexity. Now, a lot of a lot of Australians that really need good quality financial advice can't afford to pay $3,000 a year. But I think that that number is correct. Like from our business perspective, we really can't take on a new client uh, unless the revenue, the annualised revenue is 
uh, $4,000 a year or more. I estimate the cost to really look after a client before you do even one hour of work from a compliance perspective is somewhere between two and a half and three thousand dollars. It's ridiculous. And so therefore what happens is that if advisors can only look after a finite number of clients, maybe 150, 200 clients a year, um, so that that's that's their limitation. Uh, and the cost to deliver advice is so high that, of course, then advisors are going to have to then target clients with greater complexity. Because if there's greater complexity, then there's more scope to add value. If there's more scope to add value, it justifies charging a higher fee. And you're better off to work on those clients because then you can build a sustainable business as opposed to trying to you know, um, work with a client with relatively low complexity charge them $2,000 a year and not make any money from it because you you barely can kind of break even. In fact, I would say that's a loss uh, situation. You, you, there's, you can't build a sustainable business in this current envi- environment uh, charging that fee level. Now, the big problem with that is that low to middle income earners miss out. Uh, essentially, with a reduction, such a significant reduction in advisor numbers, low to middle income earners uh, are just not going to be able to afford or get financial advice. And my concern is that maybe some people will come out with some sort of automated robo-advice version um, and then the, the, the clients might feel like they're getting good quality tailored advice, but at the end of the day, maybe the quality might not be there. So that's even kind of worse where you think you you have paid for financial advice, but you haven't really got much in the way of customized or personalized financial advice. And it's not good for wealth inequality, that, that will just exacerbate it, uh, as, as will a lot of things that are going on at the moment. Uh, and I guess the other, the flip side to that is if you uh, are a higher income earner and you do have the complexity to justify an advisory relationship, well, then finding the right person uh, might become more difficult over time as well. So something just to keep in the back of your mind Um, really what we need to do is that the government needs to act. Uh, The government needs to kind of completely rewrite the regulatory environment. They need to uh, reduce the risk of of running a financial advisory business because at the moment it's quite risky given uh, the amount of compliance and obligation and and so forth that's going on. And really ASIC is kind of overreacting to its criticisms from the Royal Commission, which is not to suggest that Advisors should be left alone and allowed to do whatever they want to do. We need to obviously have consumer protection, but it needs to be effective consumer protection. Um, And it needs to really what we need to do is reduce the cost to deliver financial advice. I'd love to be able to help more people and sit in front of someone and talk to them for an hour and say, this is what you should do. Uh, and not have to wear you know, much in the way of liability in order to deliver that advice, but just have the conversation, I'm sure it would add a lot of value. But at the moment, you've got to, uh, to in order to do that, you've got to prepare a 40-page document, uh, and it's just not worthwhile for either the client or myself. Okay, so uh, hopefully that gives you just a bit of an insight on what's going on in the financial advice industry. And until next week, bye for now.